really thinking about it today. Yeah. There it goes. Says it's life. Dalet, which is door, move, hang, entrance. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Hmm. Okay, heart. good stuff. Get another heart. Heart, the heart. You've set my heart free. Okay, we got some prayer requests today. <clears throat> Naomi has spine issues, severe pain, and will need surgery. So we want to have her in prayer. Definitely. Stephanie thanks all who have prayed for her daughter, Samantha. She's doing way, way better. But continue to pray as Satan always loves to intervene and destroy. That's a wise mother there. She knows exactly how the world is. So we'll continue to keep Samantha in prayer. Justin is awaiting, or this was yesterday. We got a call, we have a kidney. And by the end of the day, they had put a kidney into him. So he had his, we want to pray for Justin to continue to uh, accept this new kidney. And uh, he knows the Lord, but he's... Uh, uh, been waiting on this apparently a long time and uh, we don't want any rejection of this kidney so let's keep Justin in prayer for that Marie is also having terrible back pain she's on steroids it's a result of previous back surgeries which your brother Dale knows all about and uh, you know uh, having a back surgery does not mean your back is going to get better quite often it means just the opposite so uh, keep Marie in prayer uh, she's going to go to the doctor and they're going to see what they can do but uh, right now She's just miserable. And then uh, Jessica witnessed to someone about the gospel yesterday. And she is praying that it will sink in and change this person's heart. And so she's asking for prayers for this individual so that uh, uh, she doesn't want to give the person's name because uh, private reasons. But um, we want to uh, just keep this, uh, uh, this in prayer. Jessica did a great job. She's talked to other people about the Lord, and uh, she's just a wonderful young lady. So we want to just uh, pray that her words will have had an effect on on the person she's talked to. Heavenly Father, we do pray for these people and anybody else that's having their own troubles or trials or distresses. Lord, you know all things. You're aware of all things in your hand. We would pray it would be upon these people for good, for healing, for uh, just taking care of them in their time of need. And uh, Doug is doing much better with his knee. We're thankful about that, Lord. Thank you for attending to him and to uh, uh, getting his knee back in shape. Just praise you for that. Lord, we have a class to uh, conduct, and we would pray that it would be uh, handled properly and that nothing would be said that is incorrect. But if we are wrong in our doctrine, Lord, please help us to correct that because we would never want to intentionally teach something that is not according to your word and in accordance with your will toward your word. Lord, we pray this that you'll be glorified, and we certainly pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, small class today. We've got uh, a hurricane that just went over us, and we got uh, uh, tropical. Uh, tro well, tropical storm. That's right, and uh, uh, we got some people that aren't traveling here, and then we've got other 
reasons why people are not here right now. So uh, uh, just we got a nice little class. We might get one more. Miss Garrett usually uh, shows up eventually, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, let me turn that off because that's hugely annoying. Let me see if I can push this button here. And I've got something for Rhoda here. She's got a new issue of the Costco Connection. So that's for you. And then we also have some other mail for you. I've been getting Sergio's mail while he's been, um, and one more thing for you over here, while he's been slumming, he's been out slumming. And oh, we got another one just today. So you can go over to Hedico and get your mail from her as well. Um, he's been out slumming in the, uh, the uh, ski slopes of Colorado while we've been Which here. Which one did you go to? Keystone. Keystone. Okay. Yes. Not been to that. Eleven thousand six hundred feet at the learning area. Yeah, that's well, good stuff. You're already in the mile high city when you fly in, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're already high, so you don't realize that you're you know, you go up just a little bit and you're my going up. I just kept track of my oxygen level. Yeah. And it said the first day we got there it was eighty six percent the whole day. Ah. And then ninety second day, ninety five third day. So you build up yeah. your, your oxygen as you Water. are there for a while. Endlessly. All right, uh, we are in Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 16 today. We are. No uh, history today? Oh, yeah, we got to read the history. Thank you. I'm glad okay, you yeah. said that. Okay, yeah, you know, you guys are right. Don't want to do without Christian history. Let's see here. Today is November 10th. On this day was born a man whom God used to change the course of history. His name was Martin Luther. And he was born on November 10th, 1483, in a peasant family in the town of Eiselben in Prussian Saxony. The next day, he was baptized and named after St. Martin, the saint for that day. Growing That baptism did absolutely nothing. Got I can tell wet. you that. What's that? Got it got him wet. That's so yeah, got him wet. Um, yeah, so let's see here. Growing up, he was taught to pray to God and to the saints and to honor the church and its priests. Over the time, he became a devout worshiper of the Virgin Mary. Luther enrolled at the University of Erfurt in 1501, receiving a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1502 and a Master of Arts in 1505. That same year, Luther was returning to Erfurt from a visit to his parents when he was overtaken by a violent thunderstorm. Terrified, Luke, Luther fell to the ground and cried out, Saint Anne, help me, I will become a monk. Fifteen days later, Luther kept his vow and entered the monastery of hermits of St. Augustine in Erfurt. Two years later, he was ordained a priest. <clears throat> the following year, Luther transferred to the University of Wittenberg, where he earned the Doctor of Theology degree in 1512. He received a permanent appointment as a professor of theology at the university, a position he held for life. Luther probably would have lived out his life as a little-known university professor of theology had it not been for the following experience told in his own words. He says, I had been possessed by an unusually ardent desire to understand Paul in his epistle to the Romans. Nevertheless, in spite of the ardor of my heart, I was hindered by the unique word in the first chapter, the righteousness of God. I hated that word, righteousness of God, because in accordance with the usage and custom of the doctors, I had been taught to understand it philosophically as meaning, as they put it, the formal or active righteousness according to which God is righteous and punishes sinners and the unjust. As a monk, I led an irreproachable life. Nevertheless, I felt that I was a sinner before God. 
not only did I not love, but I actually hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Day and night, I tried to meditate upon the significance of these words. The righteousness of God is revealed in it. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Then finally, God had mercy on me, and I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that gift of God by which a righteous man lives, namely faith, and that this sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, is passive, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I felt as though I had been reborn altogether, and that and had entered paradise. Just as intensely as I had before hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now lovingly praised this most pleasant word. This passage from Paul became to me the very gate to paradise. After his rebirth, God went on to use Martin Luther to lead the Reformation and to found the Lutheran Church and Protestantism itself. <clears throat> Do you understand what it means to be justified by faith? It means that because Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, God declared us righteous on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are justified when we first trust Christ, but then we are to continue trusting him day by day for the specifics of life. We are to live by faith. Romans 1.17, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Good stuff. A lot of people don't like Martin Luther because he still went on with other things. But if you're coming out of what he came out of, the fact that he came out of it at all right. is astonishing. Mm -hmm. Okay, People love to point the finger backward because they have all of the theology since the Reformation built upon and they've come to a full understanding of what is going on in scriptures. He did not have that. That guy had nothing but his own neuroses and his own being scared of God. And to come out of that is simply amazing. It's simply wonderful. So, um, and probably the same people who point back to your pre- salvation sins. Oh, absolutely. You know, people love to carry things around and just keep dragging them up, and there's no point in that, but we as human beings like to do that, and uh, <clears throat> as I said um, from time to time, I say from time to time is that uh, up until really, really recently, people did not have their own copy of the Bible. Right. I mean, I'm talking about in church history. It might have been 150, 200 years at the most where people actually had easily to obtain printed copies of the Bible. Most people didn't, okay? And even if they did, they didn't have the time to read them. I mean, you got to figure we have electric lights since, I don't know what, the 1850s or I don't know, it hasn't been that long. And before that, you had lights that you had to light up with a lamp and it would make you tired very easily. You, you know, it was a, a difficult thing to do and you were working all day. I mean, people had to actually get out and work, unlike today where, you know, we can stay at home and work from home. We got all the, we, we take everything that we know right now and we transfer it to the rest of the people of the world and we say, why couldn't they have done that? Well, there's a good reason why they couldn't. They actually got up and went to work and they had family responsibilities. They didn't have the ease and convenience that we have. There might've been one Bible in an entire town and so we, we can't transfer those things to the rest of the world. We have to be grateful for what we do have and we have to understand that we have doctrine now and we can share that with other people, but 
uh, you know, looking back on the past and saying how inept somebody was is not a good way of doing it. Now, somebody like, <clears throat> I'll take it, Calvinism. Uh, the guy had all the time in the world to study because that was his job. This is what John Calvin did was he was a theologian and he studied and he came to incorrect conclusions about what he was studying. And uh, so I, I will be a little less uh, gracious on somebody that comes up with some of the notions he came up with, but less gracious even on the people today that still follow that and accept that premise of uh, the way that it's taught because it's just incorrect. But anyway, um, we're just, all... Just, hey, real quick, if, if you can see that, that's a Bible that Linda's father's side... Oh, I see, it's on its side, yeah. ...as their family Bible. Right. And, of course, people abused it afterwards. It was probably in somebody's attic. Oh, I'm sure. It's, it's just like it's destroyed, but I can't throw it away. Oh, no. Because it was basically when you had to work all day, you had no electricity. Yep. This is the family Bible. Everything was recorded in there, births, deaths, the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was like a... A know, centerpiece of the family. Yeah, and, and, but it wasn't a functional centerpiece. That's what, that's what I wonder. Well, I don't know. You know, so, yeah. but anyhow. Yeah, that's, but yeah, nowadays we got, I mean, right here in front of us, we probably have 25 Bibles. In my, and, in my and, pocket, I have 150. Well, that's like, right, and you're, most people <laughs> in their pockets have, and that makes it all the more inexcusable. No. I handed somebody, I didn't even ask if he wants it. I just handed him the uh, the Gideon's Bible app today, and I said, here, scan this into your phone, and you, he was from Ecuador. I said, you can listen to this in any language you want, and I said, you can listen to it right on your phone. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be nice about that. I'm just going to hand it to people. If they want to throw it away, that's their choice. But, um, uh, it, it, that's our job is to get the Bible into people's hands and you never know, maybe he'll say, yeah, let me try it out and whatever. But um, uh, I'd never met him before. He was volunteering to work today because they, he's, he had a shirt that said volunteering to work. And I said, does that mean you're not getting paid? He said, no, it means I'm volunteering to work even though it's not my day to work. And so I guess they hand out shirts now to compliment people for doing that. But um, I may never see him again. I don't know what church he's from or anything. So um, I want, or not church, what bank he's from. And so I just wanted to make sure he had that in his hand. And that's what we should be doing is getting people to at least know that the Bible is there. Uh, how they that can't know good, that. But yeah, yeah, it's a great thing. I mean, Ray brings them in by the gross and he just right. hands them to everybody. He's just got the so, cue. You just scan it into your phone and then you can listen to it in any language, all different versions. There's no excuse anymore. There's no excuse for people to, you know, I uh, went through, um, st what day is it today? Today is um, Thursday. Thursday. So I think it was Tuesday. I drove to uh, church here to because I was still living in the back and uh, I uh, was listening to Peter and within, and I don't, you know, what is it? A five minute drive to my house? And I, I drove back and forth. I drove to the mall each day, a couple of miles each time. And I finished Revelation last night. And then this morning, or, or as soon as I finished Revelation, as he was saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, I was pulling out the Genesis DVD to put that one, or not DVD, uh, whatever, CD, CD, to put into the uh, thing and pulling out Revelation. Because I want to know the word of God. And I'm reminded I'm reminded of it. And if I'm not doing that, I'm forgetting it. You're either going forward or you're going back in life. So please read your Bible. Listen to your Bible. You got it on your app. Do the dishes and turn on the Bible. Have the Bible running because we are really without excuse when we stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know. Of course you could have known. 
Okay. Anyway, that's it for today. We got to get started. We're right. already I'm fifteen go to minutes. The first paragraph. Yes, we're starting at two sixteen. But go ahead. <coughs> we changed. The, we turned the page since I was last here. Unreal. Fantastic. Okay. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. Mm. He mm. took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Mm. 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Okay, that's very wordy. This is a lot shorter. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Much much less wordy, but says basically the same thing. I can't get past verse 314 or 214. I just, as you were reading that, I just, I, I literally love what that verse says. I love what it means, what it's conveying to us. It's, it, it's just such a marvelous, marvelous thing that God has done in Christ. And to say that I'm gonna give you this entire body of law I'm going to heap these laws upon you as a people, meaning Israel, but to show us, the world, what he's going to do, what he expects of the world. This is my standard for you. If, and it goes right to the heart of what Martin Luther was saying, the righteousness of God. And he's thinking, oh my God, this is what God expects of us, and this is what God demands of us. And he hated that term. He literally hated it because of something like the law of Moses, this burden that's on top of him. And then he finds out that God actually took that burden on himself and then gives us the freedom from it. I, I, I can't get beyond verse 314. Every time I come to it, I just, my mind almost stops at the glory of what God did in Christ, taking away all of the commandments that were contrary to us and just simply giving us grace. And I wasn't taking good notes when you were reading the thing, but did he decide to look into Revel, uh, uh, to Romans after or before he had that, that, that hatred towards... Oh, no, he already had the hatred and because he didn't understand. It, it was He said that it was uh, the philosophical teaching of the doctors of the church that told them that this is what it means, and so he just accepted it. And I've said this before. I've said it many times before. That is why you need to know the Bible before you go to seminary. Because when you go to seminary, Bible college or seminary, you are going to hear what they tell you and you are going to assimilate that into you. And that's what you're gonna believe. It's very hard to get out of that once it's been taught into you. And if you don't know the Bible before, or your child, you send them to a Christian seminary or Bible college, if they don't know the Bible well enough on their own before they go, they will be damaged by whatever they are taught. And if it's incorrect, when I say damage, it's because it's probably going to be wrong, but I should say they're going to believe whatever they're taught, and if it's wrong, they will be damaged by it. They need to know the Word, and they need to have a right con concept of the theology in the Bible before they go. Okay, That's what he was taught, that's what he believed, and that's what he accepted. And then, of course, the Catholic Church just dumped all of that other stuff on him as well. And so he, he was just a neurotic person. He was borderline you know, crazy anyway. Um, even after he came to Christ, <clears throat> I, uh, I heard a story one time is that he was just still miserable. He understood the freedom in Christ, but he also just was a miserable guy. 
and his wife actually came out one time and she was wearing black. And he says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm going to a funeral. And he says, whose? She said, yours, because you're always dead. You're always unhappy, you're miserable, and I might as well just bury you. Then he realized that that's not the life that God wants for his people. He wants us to, as Paul says, live in the, the joy of the Lord. Anyway, verse 16, I'll read it again. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. What is this speaking about? Before I analyze it, what is that speaking about? The law. The law. That's what he, he just got done speaking about the law in verse 14, wiping it out. It is, it is erased. And then he even explains that to us, having disarmed principalities and powers. Where do they get their power from? The law. They get their power to judge you by the law. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. All the powers and all the principalities that were coming against humanity are based on the law. Well, you can't do that. You're not good enough. You're a failure. And so now what is he speaking about? He's speaking about precepts of the law. So let no one judge you by these things. Here we go. 2.16. Colossians 2.16 through 19 are instructional. And they are so plain and simple to understand that it is almost impossible to believe people that uh, to believe that some people can't get them right. Uh, when we did went through the Leviticus 23 sermons and a couple other sermons, but especially the Levitical 23 sermons, I read that as the text verse every single sermon during those series just to show them that you need to remember that these things are a type and a shadow. It might not have been the text verse. I think it was. Maybe it was a closing verse, but I said it during the sermons. These things that you are now going to be instructed on, Leviticus 23, the feasts of the Lord, the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all of the feasts, all eight feasts of the Lord, these are shadows. And I wanted people to understand that. And yet people still emailed me and said, well, I don't understand. When is it Jesus going to fulfill the Feast of Atonement? And I said, he's already done it. Didn't you listen to the sermon? This is so plain and it is so simple that I don't know how somebody can't get it. Okay. This is especially so with verses 16 and 17. But the modern Hebrew roots movement, along with countless theologians and even whole denominations from the past and the present simply ignore what Paul says. And they go about mandating things which are clearly seen as set aside in Christ as anything else he came to accomplish. Everything about the law, every single precept of the law of Moses is a part of Colossians 3.14, having wiped out the trespasses. I'm sorry, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements. The handwriting is the law. That's what it's speaking of. It was nailed to the cross. It's speaking of Christ, fulfilling the law, embodying it, and dying on the cross. Okay. Having just shown in the preceding verses that the law of Moses is annulled completely and entirely, he now explains what that means in regard to observances mandated under that same law. In other words, as I said, it is instructional. I have told you that the law is ended. Now I'm going to instruct you on the specifics of that. Okay, this list is not speaking of Gentile observance, but of those things found in the law of Moses itself. The reason why I say that, I added that in because people could get confused. <clears throat> so let no one judge you in 
in food or drink or regarding a festival, well, that could be any festival. Sure. But that's not what Paul is speaking of. He's speaking of the feasts of the Lord. And so people could say, well, this is speaking of, you know, food or whatever from this religion that I came out of or that religion or that's not what he's speaking about. Paul was a Jew. He came out of Judaism. He came out of uh, being a law observance, a law observant Jew. This is what Paul did. This is his point of reference. This is his boast in Christ is that Christ did these things. He is the fulfillment in the end of these things. That's what he is writing about. He's not writing about Gentile feasts, but I added that that one sentence in so that people would understand this has nothing to do with anything but the law of Moses, okay? They are complete, meaning the law, the feasts, the Sabbath, the new moon. They are fulfilled, and they are no longer required. To say otherwise is a heresy, and I always try to explain to people a heresy is something that will keep the next person from being saved. Bad doctrine will not do that. The rapture is mid-trib. Well, that's bad doctrine, but it's not going to keep somebody from being saved, okay? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, okay? No trib, yeah, whatever, okay? That's not a point of theology that's going to keep John Doe from getting saved. But if you walk up to John Doe and say that Christ is the Savior and he can save you, and then you need to observe the laws, I'm sorry, the uh, feasts of the Lord in observance of him, or anticipation of him fulfilling him in the future, like the Day of Atonement, which they say isn't fulfilled yet or whatever, you are teaching heresy. You are now teaching somebody a false gospel. It's saying that Christ didn't fulfill the law and that you're obligated to do the works of the law. Okay, so that's the difference between bad doctrine and a heresy. And to say, let me read it again, they are complete, they are fulfilled, they are no longer required to say otherwise is heresy because it is then saying that Christ did not fulfill the law, which he did, in fact, fulfill, okay? Somebody comes up to you and says, we're gonna have a, a uh, Bible study on the Feast of the Lord, okay? This is gonna take us a whole month to get through, all right? And so they have their 30-minute Bible study for the next four weeks, and they talk about the Feast of the Lord, and they say, see, the, the spring feasts were all fulfilled in Christ's first, first advent, and we have the fall feasts. Well, those are going to be fulfilled when Christ returns. Christ didn't fulfill them. That's a heresy. The people now have a wrong impression of the law of Moses. It's still ongoing. It's something that has to be fulfilled later. That is not true. Every one of the feasts of the Lord is done. Now, one of my friends emailed me a couple days ago during the Acts sermon and we, uh, I, I mentioned the Feast of Pentecost, and I said that it came at the, the uh, day of Pentecost when the Spirit came upon the believers. And he said, I thought you said that the feasts were fulfilled in the Lord. They were fulfilled in the Lord. The Lord allowed for the Spirit to come on Pentecost. He finished the work. It is now fulfilled as far as the feasts, you know, uh, the meaning of it in the Spirit coming upon the believer. And the Spirit of the the Holy Spirit is also known in the Bible as the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of Christ. It's one Spirit. He did the work. Just because it happened after his ascension doesn't mean that the Lord didn't fulfill it. Right. It's fulfilled. Okay? So, anyway. But, but uh, just to be clear, um, if somebody uh, tells me the simple gospel and I believe it, I'm saved. And then if they come back a week later and they go, oh, by the way, you're going to have to do all these uh, then you will Then you will lose your rewards. Correct. But, like, you haven't, you're, you're still, 
saved. It, You're it, saved. You're not going to lose that. Heresy hadn't didn't bite me in the. That's butt, right. So if it, so. the the problem with teaching heresy during the gospel is because then you were teaching no, a yes, false gospel. Right. That didn't happen with the guy that you just said. The guy that you just said heard the gospel, he believed Jesus saved him. And that's why I say don't get into a lot of baggage when you teach when you tell no, somebody right. the gospel. Tell them the important points. Jesus Christ is God. He came down among men. He lived out the perfect life. He fulfilled the law which was contrary to us. He died in fulfillment of it. He was buried and he rose again the third day. If you can believe that, God will save you. Don't get into all the 10 billion other issues that people want to bring up during the gospel. That's what you need to do. Um, you know, the Mormons teach a different Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach a different Jesus. They teach that Jesus isn't God, okay? Or that Jesus was a God. He was first a man. The Mormons teach that. Whatever. You, you, you want to make sure that we teach the right Jesus and the right gospel. Keep it simple. And... Uh, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things whenever you get to that, okay? But as far as the feast of the Lord, it's just wrong to tell somebody that he has not fulfilled the feast of the Lord. And then some people say, well, yeah, it, Christ is our atoning sacrifice, but he, the feast still has a fulfillment in Israel coming to him. No, that is not correct. Jesus Christ is their atoning sacrifice, the fulfillment isn't from for Israel. The fulfillment is from Jesus. He's done the work. Israel just needs to accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So the focus is not on Israel, which is what the Hebrew Roots Movement and the people say that the fall feasts aren't fulfilled. They take the focus and they put it on Israel. And that's not on Israel. They are the feasts of the Lord. He fulfilled them. My day of atonement was the day that I came to Christ. Your day of atonement was the day you came to Christ. Israel's day of atonement is the day that they as a nation go through the Jordan as we saw in Joshua 3 and 4. That will happen in the future, but the, the feast is done. It has nothing to do with Israel except for the fact that Israel has to come to accept it. That's the difference. The focus is not on Israel. The focus is on the Lord. Are you okay? You look like you're... I'm thinking oh, this through. Okay. Um, yeah, you looked like you were you were having a something. I don't know. Okay. So um, read it again. Uh, to say otherwise is a heresy because it then is saying that Christ did not fulfill the law, which he did in fact fulfill. Don't be a heretic. Instead, pay attention to Paul's words. He said, "So let no one." This is referring to each individual's personal standard of life and practice in Christ. What Paul is warning against is that each person is to not be swayed by the false judgments of anyone else in relation to himself. He wants no one to judge you. That's Paul's words, judge you. One stands or falls based on where they put their hopes. Okay, If one places his hope in the work of Jesus Christ alone, then that person is to not let another person judge him or her based on anything else but that finished work of Jesus Christ, okay? That is what Paul is saying. You are accountable to the Lord. You have accepted the fulfillment of this work by the Lord, and therefore don't let anyone else judge you in that. If they don't like that you're not observing the feasts of the Lord, that is their problem. That is not your problem. If they don't like that you're not in church on Saturday observing a Sabbath, that is their problem. They are allowing someone else to judge them, and now they're trying to judge you. 
And that is not what we are to do, ever. We are not to let anyone judge us. And the next point brings us home perfectly clear. The words in, food, or drink. Now I'm going to read you the whole verse so you can get the context. So let no one judge you in, food, or drink. Okay? They refer solely, solely to the dietary restrictions of the Jews as mandated under the law of Moses. That is what Paul is speaking of. Just like I said earlier about the feasts of the Lord, the Sabbaths, and all these other things, these have nothing to do with anything that the Gentiles were doing. Paul addresses those issues elsewhere, okay? Like going to an idol and eating the food at the idol's temple. He addresses that elsewhere. Okay. Romans? Uh, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians. mostly. He he kind of touches on it in Romans. He gets more fully explaining it in Corinthians, maybe even 2 Corinthians as well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I wasn't ready for that question. Anyway, um, uh, I, you know, I have a lot of Thai friends and friends from Laos, and uh, if they go up to the Thai temple, Okay, which they do. They buy. They, they always, you know, the Thai temples are like um, a place where they have all kinds of things for sale. It's great. It's like a market. Okay, and it's exactly what you would expect Paul is writing about. Okay, you go up to this Thai temple, and they have all kinds of meat there, and you can get anything you want. You can buy it cheap, and it's already cooked sometimes, or it's got all the spices that Thai and the Lao people put on them. And oh boy, is it good, right? And Paul would say, if you, and I'm giving you this because we just brought that issue up. It has nothing to do with what he's talking about in Corinthians. But this is an example to show that Paul is speaking about Jewish stuff here. I'm giving you an example from Gentile stuff. If I go up to that Thai temple with my friends and there is food there, whatever it is, and I buy it, Paul says, buy it. Have no conscience about that. There's nothing wrong with it. The Lord, the, or the, uh, earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. He says, just buy it. It doesn't matter how it was prepared. It doesn't matter if they sacrificed it to an idol or anything else. It makes no difference. Buy it and eat it. He says, but if they tell you that this was sacrificed to an idol, do not eat it. Why? For your sake? No, for their sake. Because you are now condoning their conscience. You're saying what they have done is okay. And you say, I'm sorry, I can't eat that because you've sacrificed that to your God. But he says, it's not for your conscience because the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. He says, their gods are nothing. So it hasn't affected the meat at all. There's nothing intrinsically bad about that meat because of the sacrifice to whatever, uh, Buddha or whatever. Okay, there's nothing wrong with it. But don't eat it for their conscience sake. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. I just wanted to explain that. And he goes into a lot more detail. Go back and watch the, uh, the uh, things from 1 and 2 Corinthians on that. It's explained there. But anyway, that was just an example to show you that is not what Paul is speaking about here. Go again. He says, the words in food and drink refer solely to the dietary restrictions of the Jews as mandated under the law of Moses. Okay, that is found in what books of the Bible? The dietary laws. And begins with a D and ends with Y. Deuteronomy. The, the two main chapters. There are other things that are mentioned like in Exodus. You know, the Passover and blah, blah, blah. But the dietary laws are Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy something. Okay? And they are very particular, very precise, and they are given for typology. We know that because the Lord declared all foods clean. Okay, 
And so they are given to us solely for the purpose of typology. And that typology we've talked about before, that anything with the hoof that is divided, it's not fully divided, don't eat it. Why? Because it is not rightly dividing the word of God. Okay, if an animal has a divided foot, but it doesn't chew the cud, don't eat it. Why? Because the idea is that you are to ruminate on the word of God. You're to think on it. You're to eat it, throw it back up, eat it again, throw it back up. This is what, I don't mean to be gross, that's just what that type of animal does. It reprocesses everything. It doesn't just eat it and forget it. Okay, and that is typology for us. Rightly divide the word of God, contemplate the word of God, meditate on the word of God. Don't just read it and let it go in one ear and out the other like James says some people do. They look in the mirror and they walk away and they don't even remember what they look like. Okay, so that is the lesson. Every single one of the animals had a typological fulfillment. Every one of them. Go back and watch the Leviticus 11 sermon and you'll see that. It was given for typology. That is what Paul is speaking of is the dietary laws of Moses. There is no such dietary restriction now, meaning during the church age, in relation to this law because the law is annulled in Christ, including every single dietary restriction on the planet. I heard some Messianic Jews one time saying, well, yeah, there's nothing in the law that says that you can't eat pork nowadays. And so he got over that. He, he, he admitted it. He says, but why would you want to eat pork? They're the garbage cans of the world. They eat all the bad stuff. And I said, and they're really, really delicious, okay? I don't care what they eat because if what I eat doesn't matter, then what they eat doesn't matter as well, right? If it is edible, it is edible. There are certain things that are not edible and there are certain animals that are just, you can't eat them. They're just gross. But the point is that, what do you got there? I got for you insects. Oh, insects. You got me some insects to eat. So I, hope food, food. I hope they're kosher. Oh, there's something better. Worms. Worms. <laughs> I'm going to get some worms. To, I, he's got worms. He went on vacation and he thought of me. He got me worms and insects. I can't wait to eat my bugs. Thank kosher. you. They're kosher, he says. Good deal. Okay. Actually, they're not kosher. He's just being up. Okay. But yeah, it's wonderful. I can't wait to eat my bugs. I can't wait to try them out. Okay, the, the point is that when the Messianic Jew said, why would you eat lobster? Why, oh, I can't even imagine saying that, but why would right. you eat, you know, a pig? That's the garbage can of the world. That person has not in his own mind come to the realization that he really is free in Christ. Right. He's, he's bound in his cultural mind that he, in a, in a precept that he can't get beyond. He's never had He's never had bacon. I can He's tell never you that. Had lobster. Yeah, a lobster. Covered with bacon. I'll tell I you something. That. I'll tell That's you something. Good. I think I said this in a class. Maybe it was during a prophecy update one time. I don't remember. I remember saying it here. Is that the one Seinfeld episode where they were serving lobster and these Jews didn't know what it was and they were eating it and they were like, oh, this is so good. And then all of a sudden they realize, okay. That's the point. It's good food. It's made by God. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I, I'm sure I brought this up with one of you. Hedico, I'm sure, knows this. But what was lobster used for in Maine? I know. Uh, you know. But I know we've talked about it. What was lobster used for in Maine? And it was so bad that there was a revolt because of it. Anybody? It was prisoner's food. They fed it to prisoners, and the prisoners said, yeah, yeah, just send me to jail now, right? 
They, they were feeding the lobsters to prisoners and they finally revolted because they said, we're not going to eat this anymore unless you give us something else. Yeah, just send me to jail. I could be up there forever. Okay, yeah, but you know, everything comes from our mind. It comes from our presuppositions. It comes from our cultural background or it comes from really poor doctrine. That's where these things come from. Because it is an old meaning of the law of Moses, the command to not eat pork died with the annulling of the law. Now, there is somebody that's going to hear this. They're watching it, and they're going to send me an angry email. I'm going to get it. I get it all the time. Anytime I bring up eating pork, I get somebody that says, you're going to hell because you eat pork. And I'm saying, no, you're not enjoying life because you won't eat pork. You won't have bacon. And secondly, you're probably the one that is not saved because you're relying on your own works instead of the grace of Jesus Christ. That law is over. It is fulfilled. Have your bacon. Okay. Yeah, Galatians 2, exactly, right there. He rebuked Peter because of that attitude. The command to not eat shellfish died with that same annulment. This is true for every single dietary restriction found in the law of Moses, every one of them. They no longer exist because the law of Moses is superseded by the new covenant. It is abolished by it, it is set aside by it, it is annulled by it, it is made obsolete by it, it is nailed to the cross. The new covenant is what we are under. We're not under the law of Moses. A Christian is to not let anyone judge them for eating whatever they wish. This is plain, it is clear, and it is not difficult to understand. These words or this is, well, it used to be white paper. I've read it so many times that the paper's kind of yellow now, but we'll call this white paper. And the words that are printed on here are in black. There's a complete contrast between the paper and the words. The words have meaning. They actually have meaning. And in the context, they have a greater understanding of the meaning. And people read these words, and it's like they just walk away and they have no idea what they just read. They have no concept of the fact that he is speaking about the law of Moses. He's speaking about dietary restrictions and things like that. And it goes right over their head. And they come out and they say, well, you shouldn't be eating pork. Did you just not read the same words as me? Did you just not process it? Or what's the matter? It's hard to understand because it is so plain and clear. Okay, next, he says, or regarding a festival. Their Greek word is heorti. And it refers to a feast day, such as the feasts of the Lord found in Leviticus 23. Okay, that's what he's referring to, but it could be a feast day anywhere. I mean, the word is just simply a word. It could be a feast day in the Ephesians held. Okay, whatever. But that is not what he is speaking of. He is speaking, once again, the context is the law of Moses, having nailed it to the cross. That is the context. <clears throat> okay, any mandated feast day of the law of Moses is done. It is completed in Christ and it is obsolete. That's it. So for somebody to say that the fall feasts of Israel or the Jewish fall feasts were not fulfilled or were waiting for them to be fulfilled, they are teaching blatant heresy. It's not just bad doctrine, it is blatant heresy. And the reason why I say the Jewish feasts or the feasts of Israel is because that is not what they are. They are the feasts of the Lord. To say that the feasts of the Lord are in the law and the Lord has fulfilled the law, it means that those feasts are fulfilled. They're done. The work of the Lord is complete in them. Like I said, though, 
there's a difference between the completion of the event by the Lord and the application of that event to the individual. The application comes when the individual believes. Okay, everybody got that. So Israel is not yet saved. I'm talking about national Israel. They are not yet saved because they have not come to accept Christ as the fulfillment of these things. Okay, they don't even accept the Bible. I mean, most of Israel is completely secular, and the part that isn't is so stuck in their own written code that the Bible is merely an afterthought at best, unless it's a day when they pull it out and they read the parts that get them happy, like the Feast of Esther. Ooh, we prevailed, okay? And they don't even understand that what they're reading points directly to Jesus Christ and his work, the dispensations of man and the fulfillment of the law. All of those things are seen in the book of Esther, but that's not what they're looking at. And so it means nothing to them. It's a cultural thing that they have applied to their lives with no meaning beyond that. And it's a very sad thing. Okay, read it again. <clears throat> Any mandated feast day of the law of Moses is done. It is completed in Christ and it is obsolete. A Christian is not to let anyone judge him for not observing such a feast day. This is plain, clear, and not difficult to understand. Paul next says, or a new moon. The new moon is the first day of each month of the Hebrew calendar. Okay, you've got the full moon, which happens on the 15th day of the month, right? We just went through a full moon here. So if you go on the Hebrew calendar, are you, oh, she's sneezing. Um, uh, the Hebrew calendar, it would have been the 15th day of whatever month we're in. What month are we in right now? Do you November. know? November. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, uh, what is it? Okay, it's whatever. It's It would be the second month. What is the second? Okay, anyway, the 15th day of the second month is what we're in right now. And so two days ago or whenever oh, the full moon Tishvan. was. Tishvan, that's right. Heshvan, Heshvan. I took Tishri and Heshvan and put them together. Heshvan. No, I was just going to say, no. we should probably know that because that's when John the Baptist's father went to the... Yeah, you, you, we should know the calendar because of the, exactly, but I, I just don't keep those in my head because no, it's yeah. not really important I, I, I to forgot me. The, I forgot the month. Yeah, uh, I yeah. Know well, his was uh, the eighth month, which I can't remember what that is anyway, but it, it, he was in the eighth uh, he was the eighth course, so it would have been the fourth month. Anyway, don't confuse me. Right. Um, uh, so, <laughs> but we're talking about the new moon. The new moon is the first day of each month of the Hebrew calendar, okay? This note from Paul is referring to observing this day as a type of celebratory feast under the law of Moses. It is referred to over 20 times in the Old Testament, and it is an observance which the Jewish people faithfully adhered to. A Christian is not to let anyone judge him for not observing a new moon. This is plain, it is clear, and it is not difficult to understand. Paul is using, what I'm doing is I'm taking the first words of Paul and I'm applying them to each section, each clause of what Paul said. So it says here, let no one judge you. And then I made a uh, section about food and drink. So let no one judge you. And I made a section about regarding a festival. And now we're in the new moon. I made a section about that. And the last one is Sabbath. Let me finish Sabbath and then you, you okay. Um, the next one is Sabbath. Finally, for verse 16, Paul mentions Sabbath. The word in Greek is plural, and it is referring specifically to the weekly Sabbath day requirement of the Old Testament. 
Everybody got that because people will say, well, the word is plural, and so it's not speaking of the Sabbath day. No, that's exactly what it's speaking of. How many Passovers were there during the year? One. One. How many feasts of unleavened bread were there during the year? Okay, how many days of atonement were there there were there during the year? One. One. Okay, more. all of the feasts have one day or one period. Okay, the Feast of Weeks, whatever. There's one each year. But the reason why he added the S onto Sabbath is because there are 52 Sabbaths a year. Plus, you've got special Sabbath days which are affixed to the feasts or something else. There are a couple of them in the Old Testament. There are not a lot of them, but there are certain days that are called special Sabbaths, okay? And they're not always. There are some things that are called um, uh, uh, consecrated days, like the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was not a Sabbath, okay? But people will try to make it that way. And the reason why they will do that is because then they can say that the Sabbath that Christ was crucified on the day before it was two days before, not one day before. Mm. And that's where they got that wrong is because the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread was not a Sabbath, okay? But forgetting that, we'll get over, get, go over that some other time. But right now, there are a couple of special Sabbaths, but there are 52 regular Sabbath days. And that's why it's in the plural here. He is speaking of the Sabbath day, even though it's in the plural. All right, that's an important point because people will come at you and they'll tell you, well, that's not speaking of the Sabbath day because uh, is that something I need to see? He's <laughs> got all the months. Oh, he's got the months there. Okay, let me, all right. Burke had the months. So um, uh, as he said, we're in the uh, month of Cheshvan right now. Okay, and then Nisan was the first of the year, so Tammuz would be the fourth month, and that was probably the month that um, uh, Abaya was in the, uh, but I, I don't want to say that dogmatically unless I look at my feast things, but I'll get that back to you. Thank you. He's got all of the, the months, and they're broken down, and right now, the Hebrew calendar is based on a 30-day month, okay, and they obviously are 365 days in our year, 364 or 365, depending on if it's a leap year. And because of that, they have to add in another month of Elul every nine years, is it? There's, yeah, they, so they have two months of Elul every couple of years because the calendar is out of whack because the uh, earth is a different size probably than it was before the flood. That's my guess. I, I talked about that during those sermons, but uh, I believe, this is Charlie Garrett, it doesn't mean it's true, but this is the way that I perceive it, is that the world was originally created with a 360-day year. It was a perfect world at the time. It had the canopy over it, the recchia, and all that kind of stuff. Everything was different in the world at that time. When the world went into catastrophe and the flood of Noah came, the world probably expanded. It went through great, great tribulation, and when that happened, it changed the rotation of the world, it changed the size of the world, and so instead of a 360-day year, we have a 365-day year, okay? That's just what I think is right, because the Bible, even from Genesis to Revelation, is based on a 360-day year. So God is working with one thing, even though the world is happening a little differently. Um, why should he change? Yeah, why, yeah, why would he change that when we are the problem? Okay, he's going to bring it back to the way it should be, the perfection of 360 days. That is what I think. But 
that's just Charlie Garrett. I don't want anybody to get a squiggle and say, well, that's the way it is. That's just the way that I think it is. Okay, having said that, I heard something. I might as well stop before we go into the Sabbath. Um, I was listening to a global flood uh, video last night. Uh, creation in Genesis, I think it was. It was one of them. But um, uh, it was a good one. I may have seen it before, but something came out at me that I uh, didn't think of before is they have so much coal on the planet right now. We've got coal in some places in America that's like 260 feet deep. It goes on for 900 square miles or something. I, you know, that's just me. I, I, that's not the numbers, okay? But there's these giant deposits of coal. And the only way there could be that much coal in these deposits is if the world, the whole world, was like a garden, okay? They didn't say this in there, but the way they said it implied it, that the whole world was covered in vegetation. That's not the way it is right now. We've got deserts and we've got uh, snow caps and all these things that don't have that much vegetation. But if there was a world that was completely covered in vegetation, which is implied by the Reccia over the world and everything being like in a, uh, what do you call it? We go to an arboretum, yeah, something like that, okay? Then that would explain why there is so much coal after the flood of Noah. And they kind of just threw that in as just a point. They didn't even highlight it or anything, but it kind of clicked on me. Boy, the Bible confirms itself in the world today. What what we see in the world today is actually what we can understand from the world that was. Okay, anyway, I just thought it was cool. Adar is the one. Okay, every three years, they have another month of Adar. Okay, I, I knew it was something like that, and I, I wasn't trying to make a doctrinal point on that. I didn't know but. this because in Israel, we still go by the Gregorian calendar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They do have the Jewish, but... Only few people know. Right, and they just they use it for like special times. And yeah, yeah I understand. That. Okay, so it's the month of Adar. Every three years, they repeat the month of Adar. And that's just so that it remains in uh, cohesion with our calendar. Okay, but it's an interesting thing. They have stuck with that, not for use, but for keeping it as the way things should be. Because someday, I believe... And I, this is just once again, this is Charlie Garrett. I believe that the world after the catastrophe of the uh, tribulation period is going to bring the world back to 360 days. It's going to be back the way it should have been and the way it was up until the time of the flood. Uh, don't quote me on that as far as, oh, Charlie Garrett said, and that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that's what I think. Okay, the Bible doesn't teach that, but that's what I think. Makes sense. Yeah, and I could be completely wrong, but I think that's what God is going to do. Because second chapter of David. The second chapter of David, yeah. Well, no, what does it say? What does it say about the child in Isaiah dying? 100 years old, and he's considered accursed. I mean, that's just a kid, and he's dying at 100 years old. That means that people are going to live. He says, as, of the, as are the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people be. It's telling us that there's going to be a different economy than we have right now. And that tells me that it will probably be the way it was before the flood. And so things are going to be back the way they should have been so that people can live in an ideal setting again, but with Christ at the head. And they'll still reject him. And they'll go into the very end times, as it says in Revelation uh, uh, 19, 20, whatever, and uh, where it says that Gog and Magog will come against the... It's just to show the depravity of the human heart in all dispensations. 
And so we need Christ in all dispensations. Okay, so that's just me thinking that now we got to go into the Sabbath. Sure, you don't want to put a little thought back in no, your head with that? No. Okay, all right. Uh, the we'll word. Uh, uh, no, if you got a thought, go ahead. I thought it you It is. Were, no, oh. it's like, okay, the Requiem, when it came down, it that was the flood. And then as the, it had to expand, the earth had to surface, okay. it had to get larger for it to recede. Where was it going to go? Well, that's true, was, and what what happened is, and the way they explained that is that the, the it, they, it was a great video. I, you know, if I can find it again and somebody wants it, I'll send them the link to it. It's just a very well done video. But they showed the uh, the subduction of the uh, the plates, the plates, okay, and that caused the water to boil, which it would. It caused the water to expand. It was over the whole earth, okay. So it could easily go there, and then when the uh, the plates stop subducting, there's all of this turmoil ending, then the water can recede. So it was very well done. It was it, it, They answered everything that you would want to know from a basic perspective. Right. And like I said, I've probably seen it before. I've seen lots of other ones, but there were just a couple things that came out at me last night, and I, I appreciated what they had said because uh, it's like reading the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, you're going to forget the words of the Bible. And that's why I say read the Bible, listen to the Bible. What's well, the same thing with understanding the creation model? You're going to forget if you get into other things. And so it's good to refresh yourself. Okay, finally for verse 16, <clears throat> Paul mentions Sabbath. The word in the Greek is plural. It's referring to the specifically to the weekly Sabbath day requirement of the Old Testament. The plural is noted because it was a weekly feast day. And thus there were many Sabbaths each year. It is also inclusive of any special Sabbaths which were mandated under the law. So I covered everything right there you need to know. The same plural terminology is found in the Old Testament concerning the weekly Sabbath over 100 times. So if somebody says to you that's not speaking of the weekly Sabbath, it's speaking of something else because it's in the plural, you can say the Old Testament has the plural Sabbaths over 100 times. Okay. Don't let people pull the wool over your eyes and say that's not what Paul is speaking of. The context tells you if nothing else. Go back to verse 13, 14, and 15, and then we come into this verse, and it could not be any clearer. This is a very important verse. That's why I repeated it again and again and again during the Leviticus 23 feasts. Over 100 times, Exodus 31, 31, for example, <clears throat> while speaking of the weekly Sabbaths, refers to them in the plural. The Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Hebrews 4.3 says that we rest in him now. Therefore, a Christian is to not let anyone judge him for not observing a Sabbath day. This is plain, this is clear, and not difficult to understand. As a point of doctrine, oh, I'm glad I threw this in because I would have talked about it if I didn't. I'm glad I did this. As a point of doctrine, there is no such thing as a Sunday Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Saturday. It is only a Saturday. Christian tradition eventually started to claim that worshiping on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, had replaced the Saturday Sabbath. The claim is that this day of worship was now the Sunday Sabbath. This is incorrect. There is one Sabbath, and it is a Saturday. It is fulfilled in Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4, verse 3. In support of what is stated here, the following verses are given from Galatians chapter 4. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, and it says, But now, 
after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, which is exactly what he's been speaking about here in Colossians. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. That's exactly what Paul is speaking of, days and months and seasons and years. He tells you, stop doing that. I worry about you. I'm, con I'm concerned about you. Yeah, and this what they're saying, they're saying on Sundays, they just said, but right now we're preparing the calendars. I, I realize that Sunday is the first day and Saturday is the last one. Like, wait, why is this so? If, if you have Saturday and Sunday rest days, shouldn't those be the last days of the calendar? And then making some research, found the Christian calendar starts on the first day. First the, day. The week is Sunday, because Christians were to start their week with the Lord. With the and Lord. the last day was Saturday, which and is the rest day. So That's exactly right. It, it, think of it this way. This is all you need to think of. Here's human history going along. Something happens right here. Jesus dies on the cross. The past was looking to the rest. We are now looking back on the rest. We are in our rest. And so we start on the first day of the work. We worship the Lord because we have entered the rest and then we do our stuff after that. So everything, everything points to the cross of Christ. And people just keep wanting to say, we're still looking forward to it. We're still looking forward to, it. I'm sorry. It's come, it is done. We're trying to earn something that has already been given by grace. Okay, good point. Very good point. <clears throat> okay, so Galatians 4, 9 through 11, we read that. Paul calls such observances weak and beggarly elements, and he calls them bondage. Okay, people that tell you that you must observe the Sabbath have read the book of Galatians probably, and they've read the same verses as you and me, and they've come to a completely different conclusion. How that's possible, I don't know, because Paul is so crystal clear. They are weak and beggarly elements. They were something that only anticipated the coming of Christ. They couldn't save anybody, and so they were weak. They were of no profit, and so they were beggarly. And that's what he's trying to tell you. In Christ is the prophet, and in Christ is the work. And so why would you go back to what is weak and beggarly? Also, I don't know if I, I don't. I don't say anything about it here, so I'm going to take you back to Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> and he says there, I think it's verse 5. Yes, verse 5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. I'll stop right there. He goes on and makes the same point about foods. He's saying, why are you worried about these things? Whatever you do, just do it to the Lord. But if you're going to go judging somebody or allowing someone to judge you based on this, you have fallen from grace. Don't do it. Okay. So if somebody, let's say, celebrates Hanukkah, but for the Lord, not for salvation, just just, yeah, and people are always asking me, well, you know, my church is having a Passover celebration. Can, can I observe that? And I said, well, it depends on what your intent is. If they're telling you you have to do it, if they're Hebrew roots, I would get out of that church so fast that it, I'd just be gone. But if they're just doing it to show you what a Passover is like, do it. If you're doing it to the Lord and you want to understand how it points to the Lord, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Why would you, why would you not want to know what they did and what... Christ sat down at the table and it says they, they sang a hymn. Well, what was he singing? Anybody know? Well, you know. 
the halal, the uh, the Psalm one thirteen through one seventeen or whatever. You know, the great halal. The, you don't know. Okay, well they sing these. Hang on. What's that? Thirteen through eighteen. Okay, thank you. Um, and it, this is what they would have sang. And so when it says that they. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I said halal. I was uh, saying the Muslim oh, one. Good, yeah, <laughs> halal. Thank you. I, sorry about that. Yes, the great halal. Okay, so um, hang on. You just go to one. And I'm not going to read them, but it's Psalms 113. And when it says that this is what Jesus did, why wouldn't you want to know that? Okay, uh, praise the Lord. It goes on through there. All the great acts of the Lord. Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt. The house of Jacob from the people. So it's talking about redemption. Okay. 115. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name give the glory. Right. And then Psalm 116. You've delivered my soul from death. He's talking about the redemption of the Lord being brought out of Sheol. And all of the wonderful things that the Lord did. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. It's the very center of the Bible. Right in the great Hillel. Laud him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then you get to Psalm 118, and it speaks of the work of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all of the wonderful typology, the cornerstone, the stone which the builders is, uh, rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The next day after reading those, he was going to the cross. Hmm. It was all pointing to him. Why wouldn't you want to know that? So absolutely. But if they tell you you have to do those things, get out of that church because they've fallen from grace. Okay. Did that in the Gospels when he entered on Palm Sunday, did they sing blessed is he? Yeah, blessed. Uh, yeah, they did. And here's something that's important. I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to be done with this in a second, but I want to get that point out of the way. You will have people say, because Jesus said in Matthew 24, uh, I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Okay, and then they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have to understand that Matthew is not chronological, mm -hmm. okay? And so it's way back here that it says it in Matthew. And you would think, well, then that's a fulfillment of it. It's not chronological. It's actually uh, Mark gives you the chronology. And so people that want to deny that Jesus was speaking to Israel and that it will happen when he says he's coming back will take Matthew and they'll say, well, see, this has already been fulfilled. And I'm sorry, that's not what it's speaking of. Okay, and so we need to be careful to understand that Mark is given chronologically, and that's what we go to. Uh, where does Matthew start when he is up on the, ser the, the Sermon on the Mount? Where is that? Where's the Sermon on the Mount? In Galilee. In Galilee. Where did his ministry start? Not in, in Galilee. Nazareth. He was down in Nazareth. He went to Jerusalem, and then they got him out of there. And so Matthew, actually the Sermon on the Mount is like halfway through his ministry. It's not chronological at all. So if you're starting there, you've got a wrong impression of what's going on. Matthew is a presentation of the work of the Lord in a certain way for a certain group of people. Okay. Matt Mark is different than that. So if somebody takes that verse that we were just talking about and they say, well, look at Matthew, it's already fulfilled. We're uh, replacement theo theologians here. So it, well, you're wrong. 
and here's why, and explain it to them. Okay, that's a good point. Got it out of the way. Um, Paul calls such observances from Galatians 4, 9 through 11, weak and beggarly elements, and he calls them bondage. Who else calls the law bondage, a yoke of bondage? Jesus. Jesus and one other person. Begins with P and ends with eater. Anybody? Okay, let's take you to Acts 15. And he says, he's, oh, yeah. he's speaking to the people. And he said, um, where was that? Listen to Barnabas, be saved. Um, and this is Peter speaking here. Uh, Simon declared. And then he says, uh, down towards the end, where does he say this? And this uh, man, how Gentiles took it out. or But uh, written by, polluted by, I, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, uh, Peter is speaking. Oh, rose up and said, there it is. Okay, Peter, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So he calls it a yoke, not bondage, but Peter said that, Acts chapter 15. So not only did Jesus equate it to bondage, which we know, I mean, he didn't have to say it directly for it to happen, but uh, he said, uh, uh, take my yoke upon me. He's saying that you got either the law or you got the grace. And so it was an indirect That's application. Incredible. Yeah, Peter specifically calls it a yoke. And he says, we couldn't bear up under it why should we put the Gentiles under it, okay? And then Paul very clearly calls it bondage here and elsewhere, like in Galatians, you know, the, the Hagar, where he says they're under bondage and all that. Okay, so uh, bondage. It's a yoke of bondage. Where was I? Don't pursue that. Um, uh, yes, uh, do not be brought into another's bondage. There it is. And then he says in Romans, oh, I've already read it. One person esteems another. Okay, so I'm not going to read that again, but I brought up Romans 14 in the commentary. Paul is clear that whatever day a person observes or does not observe is totally up to the individual. Uh, as I said, people are always uh, uh, bringing up what day they observe. It used to be in very popular in Christian circles that you went to church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. And if you didn't, you weren't a good Christian, okay? And then Sunday night kind of went by the wayside. And then eventually Wednesday night, nobody shows up at Bible class anymore. And so people show up on Sunday morning and that's church. And that's their decision. They're in Christ and nobody should judge them for that. I know a church in the middle of the state that opens on Monday and they have a great, great group of people that come by. Thousands of people show up at this church, okay? I don't know if it's a good church or not, but they have a great congregation that shows up because that's when it works for them. It doesn't matter what day you worship on the worship the Lord or, you know, whatever. I don't take days off. I haven't taken a day off now since September of 2020. And that doesn't bother me a bit because every day to me is a day to the Lord. I know Tom feels, you feel exactly the same way. Tom is always, he's just living his life for the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're in church. It does matter if you're in church. I shouldn't say it that way, but it doesn't matter what day you go. It doesn't matter if you go on Wednesday night and Sunday morning or and Sunday night, or if you go on Monday, you should go to church or at least attend a church. You know, I understand that there are a lot of people that do not have good churches in their hometown and some don't have any church at all. And so I'm very grateful that they have a church they can attend to here or maybe some other church online. I have no problem with people attending churches online. None. I think that's a great thing that the Lord has allowed in our society. He probably knew that the church age was coming to a close and there wouldn't be a lot of decent churches out there. And if somebody comes to a, a, a church with right doctrine, great. Okay. And I'm not just saying the superior word. I'm saying whatever church. Okay. 
Um, but once again, let me read that. Whatever a person does or does not eat is also completely up to that individual. There are no such requirements levied on the follower of Christ. None. There is not one. We are never to put that bondage on any person ever, and they are not to put it on us. Here in Colossians, Paul uses the same form as that of Hosea 2.11. And this is one thing that uh, you need to understand about this. Hosea, what did I say? Uh, 2.11. So we've got 7, 6, 5, 2. He uses the same form as Hosea did. Here's what he said. I will cause, I will also cause all her mirth to cease. Speaking of Israel. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, once again, plural, okay, all her appointed feasts, I will cause them to cease, okay? Paul is using that formula right now for his doctrine, uh, his treatise on the doctrine that he is presenting in Colossians, okay? So, it shows us that the things he is talking about in this verse, feast days, new moons, and Sabbaths are the same as which were required under the law of Moses, they are now fulfilled in Christ. Their being mandated for God's people is annulled, and a new dispensation has been introduced, which has set aside the previous one. To reintroduce these requirements is to say that what Christ did was insufficient to save. It is to set aside his grace and attempt to merit God's favor on one, one's own merits. It is a self-condemning act. It is heresy. Do not be a heretic. Life application. We'll have time for one more. Good. Either Paul's words, which are plain and clear, I've said that at least 10 times in this commentary, are our doctrine for the church, the Gentile-led church age, or they're not. Either they are or they're not. If they are not, then Christ's fulfillment of the law is useless to you. Go back and observe those rites which you feel will make God happy with you. But be advised that you are all actually that all you are actually doing is building a diving board for an eternal swim in the lake of fire. That's all you're doing, okay? If you are going to cling to these things and say, I need this in order to be saved, you will never be saved. You need to trust in the grace of Christ and put aside all of these crazy things that people are teaching in churches all around the world. It's sad, it's heartbreaking. You know, I'm listening to the flood of Noah for the past couple miles in the car and it, it literally breaks my heart to think. And it, what got me thinking of it was last night when I was watching that um, uh, uh, video about the creation. And they were talking about all of the dinosaurs. And they know that this is the case. Secular people and creation people all agree on the same thing. These dinosaurs were rushing away from something. They found the footprints going in certain directions to certain places they found no bones of any of this one pterodactyl or some, some crazy name like that. You've seen a picture of it. They found not one bone, not one bone of any that were from one through eight years old. Not one. Those dinosaurs were scared for their life and they were running from their own children that were being consumed by these waves. And they were running and they finally get to the last place on the planet and they perish too. And I'm thinking, these are animals. They're things that have little fear factors in them, and they were wiped out by God. And we're concerned about how great we are. He destroyed an entire planet full of people, full of animals that 
were just living their lives because of the wickedness that came from one sin by one person. You talk about the grace of God and Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You hear those words and you think, God was gracious enough to save us, to let us continue to be the people we are today, hating him, hating him, instead of loving him and saying, we don't deserve a thing from you and yet you did all of this for us. I don't understand how people can think of their own importance on this planet when we don't have any value in and of ourselves. Without Jesus Christ, there is no value in us. An entire planet was destroyed because people just turned away from God. And it's coming soon. They think, oh, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. 2.17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. In reality, however, it is is found in Christ. Okay, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the reality, is of Christ. Okay? This verse clearly explains what the items mentioned in verse 16 were. We just went through it, Sabbaths and feast days and all that kind of stuff. They were shadows. A shadow is not anything of itself. A shadow does not exist without something of substance, right? Each look forward to Christ. Here's Christ. They're just shadows that are bouncing off the glorious radiance of Christ. Okay? Each look forward to Christ in a unique way, and each found its fulfillment in Christ. The word skia, or shadow, means the shadow of a looming presence. Think of Christ looming over all the ages of humanity, and all of these things were just shadows. The, the glory of God shining back on time for Israel to say, I'm doing this thing, and now I see the substance. It's, it's marvelous the way that Paul is writing this. The shadow of a looming presence. Figuratively, it looks to a spiritual reality relating to God's light or spiritual darkness. The foods prescribed or forbidden under the law. The feast days of the Lord the new moon celebrations, and the Sabbath days all only look forward as shadows. But Paul says, but the substance is of Christ. Okay, here, I'm shining, I'm holding this there, and there's a shadow on the wall. That shadow is there, but if I pull this away, the shadow goes away and it moves over here, right? This is the substance. That is the shadow. All of the, If we just think about what Paul is trying to tell us, it all makes sense. Christ is the substance. Everything else is just a shadow. Okay? Charlie, this is so cool. I just thought about it. First of all, this is an amazing verse to start the sermon, the next sermon with. Okay. From the Old Testament. Second, if, if the light is coming, let's say from this side. Right. And this is Christ, and God is shining the light, and there's the shadow. Right. If the Jews are standing on that side, they can't see Christ's face. They see a dark figure. Dark. But if you come to the side of the Lord and you are exposed to his brightness, all of a sudden you see Christ. And, then the shadows in the and that's what Paul talks about in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where they say, and the veil, veil. is lifted in Christ. So they're they on have, the other side. They've seen the shadows. They don't know who it is. They don't know who it is, and they have no idea uh, that he's come. They've completely missed it. They've come, it that's very good analogy there. Very good. Um, the foods, I read that. The word substance, or soma, means a physical body. Christ embodies what these things only look forward to. That's why it said in Hebrews 3.14 or 2.14, which I, 
read earlier, and I've mentioned at least three times, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us and which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All of these things that are in the law of Moses are a part of the shadow. He is the substance. If you just look at it that way, you can understand it. Okay, Paul is saying that if we have the reality of what these things only pictured, then why would we fall back on the pictures? This is what Hebrew Roots is doing. This is what the Judaizers that Paul argues so vehemently against. This is what he is saying. Stay away from that. Because they're arguing from a greater to a lesser, which makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. Okay? Why would anyone mandate Sabbath observance? when Christ is our Sabbath rest. Now, we who believe do enter that rest. He's our rest. Why would we go back and say, I need to do this? The author of Hebrews repeats this idea of shadow versus substance as well. Let me take you there. Um, Hebrews chapter 8. And, okay, verses 3 through 6. 8. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. He's saying that they have the Levitical system. They have people that are designated to offer these things, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. Okay, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator or also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Talking about the King James Version, I'll throw this in right now. They say it's no errors in it. They actually, that one there, they actually called the copy, the shadow, and the shadow, the copy, they got it backwards. If you compare it to what it says in Exodus, it's not only wrong, it's a complete contradiction. So, so much for King James onlyism, but that doesn't matter because it's the only inspired word of God. Anyway, um, so it, go back and read that in the King James Version, and you'll see it's exactly the opposite. And the New King James Version corrected it. Anyway, um, so that's Hebrews 8, 3, and 6. He speaks of the shadow. Okay, you have the real things in heaven, and these are just a shadow, just as Christ is the heavenly model, okay? And then Hebrews 10, verse 1, he says, For the law, the law of Moses, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. The point is made. The law couldn't save anybody. It couldn't perfect anybody. It couldn't do anything except anticipate the substance, Jesus Christ. Okay? We are being told time and time again that we are to put our trust in Christ and to not fall back on the law, a law which could save no one. It is plain. It is clear. And it is not complicated. We are being told things about the glory of what God has done for us. That's what's happening in the pages of the Bible. And I don't, you know, it, I, I understand that this is a big book and it is complicated. It is hard and it takes a long time to get through. 
But once you hear something and you say, you know, that doesn't smell right, that doesn't sniff, pass the sniff test, you need to check it out. That is your responsibility, okay? The teacher will be held more accountable than you, but you are the one that must check things out and you have no excuse. We have 10,000 Bibles in his pocket, in his phone. Every language, if your mom speaks a different language and you can understand that, go and see what they say in that version, okay? If you can understand that better than English, whatever. You're without excuse. We need to understand that what God has done is not complicated. It's a lot of work, but it's not really complicated, okay? I'm talking about the theology. I'm not talking about the details because, boy, on Monday I find out that the details are really complicated. Anyway, um, life application. If you are following a teacher or a preacher who reintroduced things from the law as necessary requirements for being saved, you are following a heretic. The law is fulfilled in Christ. Get away from that guy. Run. Do not walk. That is my recommendation to you. If you are in the Hebrew Roots movement and you think that you are special because you are doing things that other people aren't doing and oh, I'm better than you, you're just self-deluded. That's all there is to it. Christ has done everything. We can't add to what Christ has done. We can't do better than what Christ did. And so let us trust in Christ. Let us rest in Christ and let us find our hope in Christ. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful word that tells us of the glories of what Jesus has done for us and help us never to diminish that by claiming a righteousness of our own, but rather the righteousness which comes from you and which is found in what he has done. What a great God you are. What a wonderful, loving, caring God to give Noah grace and to continue the species that has rebelled against you from the very first days that we existed. And we continue to do so, and yet you continue to offer your salvation to us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that comes solely through his work. Thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh boy, let's see here. We're going to go to break. Yes.